0: from altitude and trails podcast cool to talk to you bro
1: really really excited to be honest really excited
0: dude i saw i watched the chimera this week your your video of the tar hunt and um when you released that arrow and you sat down and you're like oh man it feels like a whole mountain is coming down on you um (laughs) i was like oh i know that feeling so well man it is it is like why do you think in that moment one experiences it so intensely?
1: I think this has happened even uh, on during some European hunts that I had done previously, and uh, I try to understand what actually happened in those moments, and I I just build up a little theory of mine that when you are on super focus. Like all your body, your mind, they are really together into a specific goal. Actually, you're giving like the best of yourself, and that takes a lot of energy. Yeah. So it's like staying in a, or doing a type of a short but intense trip. And after that, when is everything? finish you know the body and the mind are just like trying to okay they calm down and you have the time to to say what what happened so it's like a trance yeah yeah and yeah. then you 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 wake up from that that's why yeah. it's so it's so shocking that you experience something like a jumping emotion because from really to really strong and then everything has to be at the perfect so you're trying your best to align every detail for that goal. And after that, you say, okay, now, now I now can rest just a couple of seconds and see what happened. And then you jump out of that situation and say, what happened? Because yeah. it's it, I was really there. My mind wasn't even not thinking. And then yeah, I like that. I like that. It's stressful to be honest. But I will yeah. not try to get so many of those moments because otherwise at the end of the month <laughs> I have to try to to heal myself. But
0: and- yeah and it's not the outcome isn't sure yet like at that moment until you're next to the animal you actually don't know you you know you know you know what happened with a shot but you need that 100% surety
1: Uh, and at the same point I'm not uh oh I have always this kind of struggle personality inside and then there is you know all those voices that you have in your mind you know I have the bad Franco and the good Franco, but the bad Franco is most of the time is that one that wins. Um, so I'm not super sure of my actions when when it's like you know oh yeah I did it I smoked it no I don't I don't really I can't think in that way. Yeah, there is always something that you can't control in life, and then in bow hunting it's uh, even a small detail. I've seen even friends talking about situation that were super sure, and then when it got to the to the spot there is just like a couple of drops of blood and then no animal so that's yeah. that's why it's really really difficult to be sure 100 percent of course it happens sometimes sometimes you're really i mean you have a good person to yourself and say no it must be it should be good should be good it looks like promising but anyway yeah. it's a uh, it is a good thing so experience.
0: I I actually should introduce you a bit more, but but I've got two questions about Camera still. What you don't need to give me your secret spot, but what area of the South Island were you showing? Sure
1: there was have? oh, there was around Peel. Okay.
0: okay yeah, cool.
1: There was around and, Peel and uh we decided to go there because what I mean, for Canterbury, it's uh it's a good area. It's uh there's a lot of bush. So um, um it's not that easy to get us to, to, to some spots you it's really jungle it's really yeah. jungle and uh was super wet we have conditions that were not pushing us to explore more uh, a lot of land because we didn't have visibility and, and uh, you can imagine so but it's, it's a nice area it's a nice area
0: cool and then just uh how hard is it to to film like i i often go shoot with clients you know they're fly fishing whatever and um, i'm taking photos the whole time but i've i've almost told myself like don't fly fish and shoot at the same time it's just balancing the two but you guys were hunting and shooting at the same time like have you managed to kind of master that or was it really difficult to be hunting and be shooting a a a movie at the same time
1: uh i have to say with auric we we already have some experience um, that we shared together in France when he came to my place to Hans Rodier. And it, yeah, we probably, we didn't need any briefing. We were super um, free to take the camera, take some shots and, you know, discuss about what we, we probably, is good light to try to do some scenes right now. But nothing was super prepared, it was really, really, really a freestyle, to be honest and that's the way I'll, i prefer it's yeah. like uh you know when you're there actually it's the environment the condition they, they 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 tell you what kind of images you want to take
0: yeah,
1: yeah. and it will work we were on the same frequency so it was really automatic it was an automatic yeah. work and so i sometimes i grab the camera he grabbed the camera and we say like okay i want to just like you yeah, take um take some shots and that was that was cool easy going
0: Cool. Okay. But now actually the start, you're a veterinarian and you're currently in the South Island, but you're not, you, you, how long have you been in New Zealand? Just give me a slight background about that.
1: Um, came in New Zealand the first time was 2011. Uh, my wife, she has studied um high school, university He is here, So um, she knows New Zealand pretty well. And um, so she introduced me to New Zealand, to be honest and then uh, she organized a trip in 2017 when she she saw that was pretty 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 passionate about tar because i had some background with my university in italy and my professor was uh, uh, doing some research with tar in nepal but i didn't have the money to go with them when i was a student and uh, she said but you could go to new zealand and see what you think about and she organized a trip, but i don't know honestly to. What to say? Because the triple looks like she wanted to kill me instead of giving me the the good the good hunting moments. I have just five days to fly in. It was 2017, and uh, I got like uh, tons of hours of the airplane. I got to 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 the to the spot in Canterbury. Was this guy that just took me and brought me to to the mountain? I didn't even sleep one hours after 36 hours. Of and I was on top of the mountain at 10.30, we were already tar and I said like, this is the best way probably to kill me. Um, yeah, the, the guy was around 60 something. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, good good age, but it was uh, climbing like a goat. And after traveling so long and, uh, I well, I, I thought I'm going to just lay down on the mountain and say, see you tomorrow. But anyway... That was that was a good experience at the same time. that was like the first uh, crash into into tar the and then uh moved in 2019 to the um, to film chimeras yeah and now we I'm here but it's not really for for hunting. the main main thing is like it's a family project because yeah. we have been traveling uh, a lot you know I'm from Italy, moved to France my my wife she's from uh, Borneo and uh, we kept traveling but now we have two girls so we say probably we have to find a place otherwise we they're gonna grow up on an airplane yeah yeah, so um, and uh, that's it so now i'm enjoying this this time here i have to be to be honest i feel a little bit sad inside to see all my european friends are getting really really uh, hard life in europe we didn't plan this to escape the pandemic because we were supposed to come here early 2020 yeah and uh so i missed that flight and then when my wife would stay apart because of covid the seven month where she had the girls and uh that was our hard time i was stuck in france she was stuck in morning with, with the girls and then um yeah that was uh probably the most dramatic part yeah and um that pushed me to think about and when you have kids it's important that you know all the family stay together
0: yeah 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 Uh, Yeah, man. I think a lot of people are in that boat. We, all our families in South Africa and uh, we don't have residence yet. So if we visit South Africa now it's done, we can't come back. So yeah, man, that's tough. Um, But now (laughs) New Zealand is a good place to, to explore hunting explore nature. So um, Yeah. yeah, I think I can see like you're making the best of it. And we're, we're also like really loving the out, outdoors man so you you i heard on one of your podcasts you said you started hunting like late in later in super life. late um like w- when did you start hunting was it in italy already or or how did that start
1: i started in 2016 so it's pretty late and um i got my license in france so um, in france i had a lot more freedom than italy because i moved to france after university to to work as a vet as a rural vet there was an opportunity so i I took it and then um yeah um it's a strange background because like in italy during university no even before high school i was like yeah love nature outdoors trekking but i have a different vision of uh of the hunting so i was against hunting i was really really you know those that think hunting is is it's not a good thing doing bird watching a lot and and then i got my exposure during the university years because i was working in wildlife my thesis was uh actually um putting me into the management of wildlife and I have uh, um, good contact with, with um, different entities like uh, national parks, uh, gamekeepers, so different, different type of people. And that gave me a little bit different vision in, uh, compared to before. So I um, moved to France and I say the, the first thing I thought that I was like living by myself in France and I'm going to get a license to get some meat out of the the nature and the yeah my goal was taking some meat and eat some wildlife that's it because i always thought that this is a source taking the game from from nature is at uh, the same time when it's done pre- properly management and at the same time it's uh, food for you you know where it comes from you are part of the process and um it's it's a uh, it's an important part of our life as well
0: so are you hunting public land there is is there public land or is it all private?
1: Uh it's a little bit different from New Zealand. You have uh, all the lands is cut into pieces and then uh, when you that's that's the tricky part. Um you got your license and then you have to apply into like uh, an association or society called society of hunting and it give you the 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 possibility to to practice your your hunting but so there's no really public land to be honest mm-hmm. so um, um and the tricky part is this that my era was central france and most of the of the year after summer there's hunting starting september october um all the societies all the territories like you are able to do most of, of the hunt type of hunt is just driven hunt.
0: Mm.
1: And it's not really my style. I'm more yeah. into solo hunting. So there's the stalking, spot and stalk, and I like to spend time in the outdoors by myself. Um and that's a tricky part because I thought that it was difficult. It was difficult to practice the, the bow hunting. But then I I I met a gamekeeper genius genuine person. And then uh, it was managing a private land. It was a reserve, and we talk about it was more. Most of the hunt there was driven. Hunt was small game. And he had a population of roe deer, and he said to me that I could practice my bow hunting there. There was no problem, and it wasn't even not that far from home, so it was good because, like with a vet work, you don't have so much free time. Yeah, and uh, they gave me the possibility to actually even get into bow hunting. So you need a land where you can go um, frequently, and you can start to understand what is bow hunting. You 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 need you need to do your your uh your test on yourself so that was a good opportunity
0: yeah man that sounds awesome i think access is a big thing even coming here to new zealand you know there's a lot of public land but i um yeah. do a lot of work in agriculture and wherever i am and i'll I'll just ask farmers like hey what do you have yeah. here on your land <laughs> what's going on here and yeah and it yeah. helps you know yeah. we've got a um i've never duck hunt, uh, hunted before but in next month we've got a duck hunt coming up because a guy said we can come shoot and uh, we're actually going down to the south island to hunt near wanaka also in a, a bit of more than a month and it was just it was just speaking to someone going like if i come here can i hunt and you know so so yeah it's it's, it's cool to have that 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 contact um uh so so you hunted mostly roe deer in Europe, yes, was roe deer
1: and wild boar, I have a, Yeah, most of, of, the, of the time was roe deer. I did chamois in Italy, um, but already my resident was was, uh, was in France, so I had to do that like a visitor. But with the other guys of the Altitude project, they helped me to to set and then grab a tag. So we had a beautiful hunt on the mountain on with chasing chamois but most yeah most of the time in in france was road and i have to say really is magic is magic it's a little game compared to what we have used to see so epic in in the from the american screen but at the same time it's like a a super teacher in terms that is gonna give you big lessons about bond.
0: are they just very clever animals is that why
1: is really skittish so actually if you're not perfect and i'm saying really really I, I i i had biggest probably failure of my life doing bull hunting because you know every time you're trying to, to to put a strategy strategy on and you try to see okay i do i know really about nature and biology of these animals so i can really put the best strategy to get close to one of these and um it's it's difficult you you mean you move your hands just like i mean some centimeters if you're not careful that that he can spot you Mm. so um, it's really super skittish animal um and plus he has this really uh i would say awful for a bow hunter but he's uh fascinating at the same time it's big reaction at the at the when the bow shoot the jump string so um, and actually it's it's another you could be perfect till when you get close to rodeo, but then you have this kind of uh, situation where he can completely jump the string and totally change the the area or I mean the position of the thorax. Mm. So it will drop. I've seen rodeo twisting. I've seen rodeo completely push forward the cavity because, like, bending, uh, fletching and you know, bending the legs. So, um, and you have to be, you have to be careful at what's, w- which distance you're shooting. So it's, uh, it's tough, but at the same time, when you get, uh, yeah, when you, w- when you get one, you can, you really think you, you've you done a good job and you could be happy about that.
0: What, what weights does a, a a doe or a hind slaughter out? And what weights does a, a ram or a bull uh,
1: slaughter out? Uh... A buck is around, you know, a really nice buck. You can be around 25 kilos. There are areas they are a little bit bigger, so like for example, Spain. You have bigger ones. Um, yeah, it's 18, 20 kilos, a good, a good uh female. Um, yeah, it's really, really small, but it's uh, it's super, super, super challenging.
0: Yeah. So I, I I read an article the other day where this guy, this trail runner, said he mostly trail runs in the mountains so he can have an excuse to eat, right? And um, on each and every one of your podcasts, you're like, food is is, is is like always there in the background. Even if you're talking to a professor about tar, you're talking about food. Like, why do you, is, is, is that the Italian upbringing? Like, you're very passionate about food. Why is that surface so much in, in, in the things you talk about?
1: Um, Yes. i'm I'm italian and that means that our background and tradition and how much art we put into food it's so important because through food we can see each culture and then we have uh, italy is divided in so many regions you have more than 20 regions and every region has this kind of culture recipes and stuff so everything that comes through food is a window to to a culture, um, to a specific area, and it's it's really fascinating because even when we we started actually the podcast just, uh, with with um, um, with Paolo and he's he's a chef uh, working on the mountains and his uh, his uh, specialities wildlife wild game how you cook it, it. and we start with that and I seen that. You know how much you time into the preparation in trying to get good food trying to show that food could be healthy food it comes from from uh, from research that is important like like the mountain like the forest um yeah it's it's for, for us houses like a part of ourselves without food you i think it could not be defined italian to be honest um we, we are I mean, I would say like we are passionate about, not proud about, but I would say passionate about, because when we talk about food, we feel like it just, okay, this is time with family, it's time with colors, it's time with, you know, tradition, it's like everything is included. And um, so... It's tough for Italian when you go overseas because you're going to see like how they make the pizza, how they break the spaghetti, and then you feel all broken inside. And you see your grandma having really, really, really bad stomachache moments if she will see that on a table. But I mean, it's okay. It's globalization. I understand that the culture mixing, but don't ask me if that one is a good pizza
0: uh it was interesting we we were in japan uh, uh, like way before the pandemic and um i saw that we were like seven south african friends and for us we usually uh if we we barbecue over open fire and it's all thing everybody comes together everybody's having a good time you know and then when we were in japan it's very like so many people you know uh if you're in the city like you eat And you leave because the next guy wants that seat
1: yeah and then we were
0: very like people were like looking funny at us because we sat down and you know we were talking and being rowdy and it's interesting how uh the cultures just approach it in specific areas differently but i wanted to ask you if i bring you a piece of tar now any piece like what would you and and you had what would you do with it now to make food like what would your go-to be for for maybe you know as as you in New Zealand now like what's what what your go-to?
1: Okay, I can give an example that we we got a like a calf the other the other weekend with Patrick, and uh, <clears throat> so I will treat the meat in the same way. So most of the time, what we bring down is like backstrap or back legs. If we're really, really, really not that far, we're even to get a little bit more. But if I have a piece of tar, in this period, I'm trying to do like this because of the two girls and I want that experience like the, the wild game. Um, and I don't want it just like you grew up saying, oh, no, this is like from wild game. It's tasty. It's just like this is different. and So I want to give them a good experience. So most of the time what I do, is like I try to cut like it's a, a really um, a long piece. It doesn't have to be thin. So I just like it, uh make like these kind of cuts. And uh, for each cut, I try to be a little bit more perfect, try to make a, a really thin slice, but doesn't have to be super, super, super thin. And then I try to tenderize, you know, with that kind of tool, the, the hammer one. I tenderize, so it becomes really, really, really thin. And then I marinate just like a little bit of oil, some some spices. So garlic, a little bit of um, um, paprika. I, I put like some herbs and salt. And that's it. Stay there for, if I have time, 30, 40 minutes. And then just make really, really hot on the fire. Boom just Sounds like
0: good. Good every
1: It's side for some seconds and then and then there's really really thin. it's really easy easy to chew and oh uh, my girls like i think probably they hate most of the meat even more than my wife and they were just like and one is 18 months one is four so you can you can see that if there was no really good they will they will push me away yeah, yeah. but it was good meat and then yeah that's the way i'm gonna probably do tar as well
0: if 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 you were to take a piece of meat uh to your your mother or your grandmother in italy and they were to and they had a lot of time and they were to do a really traditional dish what would what would they do
1: uh that's going to be the spezzatino for sure because i remember right
0: stew spezzatino is stew
1: exactly yeah 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 there's the stew and uh yeah, it's just well we, we the podcast with Paolo, we say that there's a lot tons of ways to make meat and sometimes a little bit like uh uh wasted to do know, because exactly you meat could be even uh transformed like prepare and steak, like as I said before. But stew is something that it requires like a good if you good if you do a good one, it's gonna be awesome. And I remember this one that um my mother did with a red deer. So she marinated the red deer, and I probably cannot remember the detail. I will say something wrong, but you can imagine. So there is kind of this preparation, marinade, this is wine, there's a lot of things, and then she prepares sauce, and this sauce is made with cream and chocolate. Okay. And then when everything is put uh, put together to like to at all temperature for a long time, so you don't you really can't you can't really tell that it's chocolate because that kind of flavor is going to mix it with all that stuff and i have to say that's my best winter meal because like it's hot you can put next to polenta yeah yeah yeah. and wow that's that's one of the best dishes probably that that i had
0: that sounds amazing man i love food and uh, i just get excited just thinking about what what are we gonna uh, eat next? Something interesting. Uh, you said that I think you uh, in one of your podcasts your wife uh, was boiling uh, the meat in Coke, like Coca Cola.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, she used and, that. And like uh,
0: we we did that also when we make pie from uh, after hunting from blue wildebeest in South Africa, um, and as far as I understand it, uh, the 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 Coke is acidic and it actually tenderizes the uh the yeah. meat but when people see you do that they're like no bro what are you doing coke is like the yeah. biggest sin in the world you're like you're exactly. like taking this good stuff um but yeah that's that that that's interesting um i i look, obviously we we don't have uh hours and hours but coming coming into new zealand one views the the their conservation efforts from from like a different point of view, you know. You've got experience with conservation in in, in Europe, and, and I'm coming from South Africa and seeing what's done in South Africa, mostly on on private land and and then big national parks. If you if you consider deer and tar and and, and chamois and and the whole effort here, okay. So for maybe for some of the listeners who, who don't know, uh, New Zealand has tar, chamois, and, and, and deer, and they were introduced. And the hunting community sees hunting them as part of their life, but, but, but a lot of the fishing game and and the problem of conservation, some aspects there sees it as a pest to be, to be eradicated. And there's constantly this push and pull between hunters of like, we want them, we know we have to control them, but it's, it's, it's a very difficult conversation coming from a, a foreign perspective and from all the people you've spoken to and, how would you approach the management of the 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 herds here and obviously i know you know it's it's sensitive stepping on toes because we are our foreigners um but what you've heard you know i i heard so many stories like some people say shoot nannies we need to control the breeding population and yeah. then other people are saying no there's so many nannies being shot out like hold back like what is your like if you could wave a magic wand what would you do
1: okay so this is a really big question it's a, it's a also even a big debate because, uh, yeah, I I try to understand what is happening here and uh, the fact that you have public land at the same time you don't have a system of dragging tags, uh, everyone is able to shoot whatever he wants. There is not any any kind of uh, you know uh, uh, rules on that. I mean legal uh the management is it's a little bit tough at the same time when you categorize an animal as a pest um secretly give you it give you the, the, the i mean give you the, the the permission and if we can say that to to be able to to do whatever you want because it actually is a pest and i feel like it's not a good way it's not good philosophy any of those animals ask to be introduced in that land And at first, to me, it's uh, respect of life. Whatever is a past, whatever it is, it's just a. It's terms of words, uh, is still a life, and and has to be respected totally. So, it's a source at the same time, and we can understand why because it brings food. And okay, today we live in luxury, but it's still food and can sustain people. There are people probably that don't have the same luxury as other people, and there are some foundation for that, that have done crazy, crazy important and, and interesting projects. You uh, know, just mentioned the, the Wopity Foundation, the uh, Foundation, and, and has done something like that about meat and then uh, sharing the meat with, with, with people um so giving the the opportunity to just share the food and so everyone can can have uh some good research some good nutrition uh, it comes especially for nature so the best of the best and giving the opportunity to everyone to, to to have that so this is one thing second thing is that these animals are still, again it's still alive and i think it's important that this source is used in a good way because it gives you an opportunity especially when you are in a land where you can put your hands you can touch the animal because this is what happened to hunters they have the animal down this is something that i will call the biological research so what it could be done actually and i i think i think probably in the future will is something that will happen i hope is that there is a lot of data you can collect and understand the trend of population. And this could be useful for management. It could be useful for any type of management. Even if it's in non New Zealand, you can understand a red deer population, how behaving in a certain uh, environment. And Shamu as well, tar as well. In our podcast with Professor Lovari, Lovari said, and he's like a researcher guy. So he's someone who spent a lot of time in the outdoors trying to understand the biology of tar in Nepal. You say we didn't have authorization to keep going with 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 the with the study with the studies and the research in New Zealand. You have the opportunity to to put your hands and get data from from TAR. You have so many different theories that it will be awesome to to get more into it and understand really fully the biology of these animals. That, that the data you collect here could be useful to to manage the population in Nepal as well if something happened. So. That's why I think management is important. It's, uh, I think it's bad to categorize these this animals that passed, it should be categorized like a resource. And then management, it should be like, uh, if I have the, the the magic stick, as you said, I would, what, I would just like trying to give full power to this kind of organization, game council, the different animal foundation they are in New Zealand. They're doing a great job. And I will, full, I will try to just like sit there, at table when decisions have to be taken and discuss with them. These are people that put their feet in, into, into the land, into the field. They know what is happening. They don't just stay on the desk and just look at a computer and say, okay, we manage like this. This is not the way. So at the same time, yeah, give guidelines to, to the hunters. says they they are doing. Like the Seeker Foundation and Cam Speedy talk about the, Ow oh, is is good to just put more hinds down because that's the way and again council is published a lot of posts. Of, for example on instagram talking about that and they, they, they and they did graphically so you can understand you know there was there was this nice post about out red deer population you can understand from the environment also if the population is in a good health so then it's up to hunters you want to keep nice you want to keep beautiful it's like your land so be proud of your land do good things i know that it's like fancy things a trophy is a nice thing everyone dream about a good healthy animal that expresses himself with the best genetics but without effort there will not there will be nothing for the future generations so i think that putting down a hind it gives you that's the impact is so big that actually the virtual trophy that you're taking it's a lot bigger probably than a huge deer yeah yeah but what you're saying. so so i know that this is this this trophy hunting is is a nice thing taking a match an animal is nice there's a big effort and then i understand in a public land for people that hunting in public land is not something that could be achieved easily there's a lot of sacrifice you don't have so much time but Getting out there and see the first animal, shoot it down. Probably something that has to be. Um, uh, you need some reflection about it, yeah. because it's probably not not the best things. I'm not saying that taking out freedom from the hunters, because probably New Zealand is as the same uh, as the best scenery for 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 hunters, and that as to keep going, but needs to, 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 to go with a good philosophy. Otherwise there's no future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, um, uh, coming from backgrounds where there's a lot of private land hunting in South Africa, you know, anything you shoot in South Africa, you, you have to put money down, you know, even if it's on a massive piece of, of public land, but it's managed, uh, there's still a fence around it. And if you pull that trigger uh you're putting 300 400 500 600 dollars down done and if you wound the animal you're putting 300 400 500 dollars down it's it's not you know and you take everything everything you can use uh you can use but i i I think often it's a it's a change of of mentality and i've seen it, it often you know i've seen it after i shoot an animal or wound an animal the way people react and the way they treat animals uh not ethically or um, even even you talk a lot about pathologies you know i I wrote for a a agriculture magazine in south africa and i wrote a lot about bovine brucellosis which is very prevalent in south africa and i was recently at a at a a meeting and someone showed us just how to slaughter a a deer and talked a bit about it and i asked them like what about wearing gloves you know simple thing you talk about a lot and they're like ah those veterinarians are full of shit you know and yeah, I was thinking, yeah. okay, well, you know, maybe not. Why do you think it's so hard for people to listen to another perspective when it comes to hunting? It, it's almost like some hunters are, are just like their way or the highway. Why, why is it so hard, do you think?
1: I think that if we talk about this today, um, we are suffering a little bit of the social um, uh, fashion that everything goes through an image and there is this kind of is images 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 so they are providing some kind of stereotype after a while and seeing the hunters you know with full blood and, and hands probably gives this idea that you're tough men, mm. and you're sometimes you know you're 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 like the rough one tough man doing the right job the tough job something like that but I've been, I mean, I, I'm not blaming anyone, I've been even myself, not putting gloves on most of the occasions. Um, but I really don't want to show that and talk about that has to be, we have to think about it, especially because we are today giving uh, an image to the hunting. Every every single hunter is an ambassador of the community. so i've done myself because like i knew more most of the times like what was happening and i i open the animals try to check what is inside so when i get what is this you know you can have endemic situation where a population has some pathologies and they keep going, but some i mean most of the population not luckily and it's, it's nice. They 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 don't have like any any severe issues. So that's good. I mean answers are they they can go uh, out there and feel feel um safe. But at the same time, when you wear gloves, you are showing to the community, especially to for your, the public opinion, that you're doing something with, with method. Mm-hmm. And we are caring stuff like I mean, I don't want to use any any difficult terminology, but you when attaching you an animal, you're carrying something. You you don't have any, any, uh, yeah. You can wash your hands in a river, whatever. But you know, micro wounds on your hands, yeah. especially when you're to go hands if you're caught in, when caught with with some biological liquid, blood, oh, and and etc. You're gonna carry something that is being 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 inside there. So. And then you go back to the to the to the uh, civilization. So, and especially what, look at what happened today with the pandemic. Out of nowhere, this is this virus. So imagine that something we are in in a period that everything is happen, er, happening so fast. Any mutation is possible. So who knows that in 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 some years we we're, we're gonna grab something from. Who knows? For a carry, wildlife is a carry of, of different agents, pathologic agents like virus, bacteria, and you can you can get one of that and it just bring back to the to the to the other people. Yeah. So putting gloves is not just saying, okay, I want to be safe. I don't want. Oh, if I know the risk of certain population, I want to be safe. Okay, but I want to be like I protect also even my family and all the people I'm gonna I'm gonna be with. Because you don't live by yourself. So that's a good way. That's why it's important to to, to wear the gloves. But yeah, today it's probably more fashionable, uh, you know, uh, having blood on your hands and have a knife and then show you did the tough job. And instead to have gloves that you look like a a stupid nerd, uh, then, you know, with, with, with your theories. So yeah, that's not fashionable. I understand that.
0: Yeah, I I know two veterinarians in South Africa who contracted bovine brucellosis. Yeah. And let me tell you, man, their lives are hell. It's depression. Yeah. It's body aches. It's headaches. Yeah. It's yeah. You know. But anyway, so ho- hopefully, there's. I think the populations here are are um are healthy. I think you know it. it this reaches to so many things. It's like wearing ear protection before you take a shot. I, w- I was very cowboy often on shooting ranges and let me tell you when i get in bed at night i just hear boop. i just hear this noise and it's my fault yeah. and it's my yeah. fault because you you oh, that guy's not wearing ear protection i'm not gonna wear ear protection i'm gonna yeah. sound like a like a like a real man you know and then then you're 41 and you realize you're you're freaking stupid um uh I had a couple of random questions I wanted to ask you. What is the process in when you had to get a license in France? Like, what yeah. was the process? Is it similar to New Zealand, or is it like some of the uh, uh, other countries where you have to go through like uh, a lot of training for a year? Like, how did that work?
1: So you have um, so you apply, and then you have a session of uh, two or three days. Remember, so it's your theory and uh, practical back to sessions so actually they there's during these days you are um they're going to teach you uh, a little bit about um, legislation a little bit about the different uh, uh, species and then the, the how you handle a uh, rifle the different type of rifle cartridges so you're yeah, going to have uh, these three days full immersion and then you have an exam a uh, practical exam and a theoretical exam and then you can pass. I've seen a lot of people that's like failing because like the um the practical test is a lot about security, and so even like if you do a couple of wrong actions and moves, uh not you don't get anything. So that's a super nice, I have to say. This is not like in New Zealand, and I will say Okay, firearm license is one thing, yes, that, that there is an exam in New Zealand, and, and I'm okay with that. The only things I feel a little bit worried about, and for example, if you look at some um, countries like Germany, Switzerland, there is a lot of time that you have to uh, prepare for your exam. It's like, I don't know, probably Germany is like one or two two years or even more than before being eligible for, for to taking the exam. Um, so i will say this that hunters especially in new zealand and i've seen some posts on facebook where people publish like a piece of meat a lung or whatever and they ask to the community can i eat that so imagine that you are like probably in new zealand can start 216 years old mm. okay so if you go with a bow you don't even a, you don't need any firearm license so you put down an animal it could be the hare could be a rat deer, could be a chamois, could be a tar, could be a goat. So let's say you're going to open the animals. So if you didn't do any study in medicine or whatever it is, biology. So let me guess what the hell you know about what is happening right there. Mm. Mm. Nothing, Mm. nothing at all. And I think today it's so much important to get some education to hunters in those terms. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's like, you know, it's so, as you said, okay, we we care so much about the gear in this, this period of our life that we are, like, so sophisticated. We know ballistic specs. We know everything about how rifle perform, um, gear, layers, clothing, everything to make up so much, so successful. You go out there and how much is, at which level is our, biology knowledge of the species that we are chasing
0: yeah yeah probably it's on, it's on zero man it's on zero
1: it's on zero it's on zero and i when i, I had a podcast with 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 an american guy um and we got like this i hope it's going to come up this podcast because we have like two hours on screen share screen where we talk about pictures of animals and see so many different pathologies and zoonoses we talk about that they they say to me I I come from a Germany background. I know I'm I know a little bit of what happened in Germany. This is huge preparation for hunting and it's just like really really interesting. And I say there is nothing even in America. Said I try to understand a little bit about the pathology. What it could happen if if I step in some problems on an animal that I put down? And say so I can't find any information. So for for hunters nothing like that. Yeah. And. Yeah, we care so much about the gear, and we don't care about the biology. Some organization are doing great job, but this, I see that again. It's like the the, the bloody hands. It's not fashionable. I mean, you, you probably put a, a, a pictures on 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 your social that you're with a super nice gun and next to a big animal. That's uh, gonna get a lot more views. You probably uh, stay on a table and reading a book of biology. Yeah. So, but again, again, it's uh, you probably ended up, especially in this period where we are so many in this world and the management is so important that you don't have the good knowledge, the good clue of what is happening. We're going to hand it up, as I said to a couple of friends, we're going to hand it up with so, so, so much sophisticated gear on the heels. With no game, so we're gonna try. We're gonna just do airsoft games, aiming each other with this sophisticated gear. Looking but there will cool. be no game. <laughs> <laughs> Looking
0: like soldiers, bro, but not soldiers. Yeah,
1: we're have yeah. yeah. But look, look at how just they look today. I mean, I, I'm an ambassador for different brands, and I say like, well, when I look at the technology, and sometimes I ask myself, how did Albert
0: and sister wear hunting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in, in South Africa, I go hunt with my brother-in-law. He's wearing leather shoes, a short, and like a shirt like you've got on now. And he's had those same shirt, leather shoes, and short for 15 years, man. And he doesn't care. He puts the animals down. My, my, my other brother-in-law stays in Botswana. And it's tough country there. So they're also like, they don't care, man. They they you know they look at instagram and all these hunters with their gear which is me also man i dig my gear i love my gear i love my rifle i love all my my stuff and they just go like what this guy's got this gear but where's the animal um what what is what is your next big mission when are you heading out for a hunt again
1: so probably tomorrow if we're lucky probably tomorrow we um yeah, we are in this project with, with with Patrick. This is like he's a local guy, but actually it's uh it's out French. So that was that was interesting that I, I step into someone as has a little bit of Europe European background here. So yeah, basically we're trying to uh, film some hunting there, create a little bit of a, of a journey. Uh we are both father, fathers, so it's tricky to get out there. Yeah. So we have to keep the wives happy, and that's like mm-hmm. the, the most difficult part, probably. I will say, uh, uh, maybe even more more difficult than find a good uh, a good spot. So um, yeah, we're gonna probably spend two days, and maybe, maybe, maybe the next week we're gonna have a le- a long mission like more than four or five days.
0: Okay, cool. Spending a while. That's, yeah. that's rifle.
1: That's rifle because uh, it just for a matter of uh, timing organization so it's be most of the content is me they're gonna they're gonna create so if i had the bow he has a rifle i say there is there's no need for two weapons like that so the i will keep because i mean it's my passion the bow hunting i will i will keep going with the bow when i'm on my myself like on solo hunting and I have to say that that's the best things that you could do. Public land is so challenging. I've done probably four or five trips since I'm here. And I got really close to animals, but there's always didn't have to, the good occasion. Yeah. And then, um, but that's that's good things. You know, you get out there, but it's, it doesn't have to be just like an animal dead down all the time or whatever. Exploring the land is the most challenging thing, so I would say.
0: Yeah, man, I'm I'm really psyched. We've got, like I said, a duck duck shoot coming up, and we've got uh, in the South Island, and then because um, uh, it was a real mission getting my license here, just because COVID and everything. Um, but finally, I've got the license and the rifle sighted in. I belong to the Deer Stalkers, so I'm looking forward to 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 just getting out there. But dude, I, I dig your podcast. I dig your your videos on YouTube, and the things you're talking about is really important and please keep on talking about it. And I hope one day I can come and take photos. If you guys are hunting or something like that, I would really oh, love nice. it. you uh, the stuff you do is cool and it's entertaining also. And I like the passion that you put into it. Um, you're passionate about food. You're passionate about like ethical hunting, which I'm really, really glad that people out there are like, like value the animal's life. Like I, I feel there's too little of that out there, you know. Um yeah. too, too many people who release an arrow or pull a trigger and, and and don't realize that that this is a serious thing that they're doing, you know. So um maybe you get a lot of backlash, but I, I think it's cool, man. So yeah, our time is running out and there's a long weekend ahead. Maybe we can speak again on another time and then and, and maybe have a more focused uh talk, not just like an overall one. So um um yeah, man. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, enjoy the weekend and thank you for talking to me. You
1: too, you too. That was it was really, really, really nice to catch up together. And uh, let's see if we can meet up in real life and yeah, it yeah, be yeah. amazing to just share some some outdoors adventure together it will be amazing.